Struggling to keep up with the latest releases? Want to keep an eye on what's coming out in the next few months for work or your own personal pre-ordering needs? If you need help turbocharging your TBR, Book Riot Insiders is here for you. Our new release index, available at the novel level for just $5 a month, is curated by resident reader Liberty Hardy from the All the Books podcast. She keeps track of the most exciting books pre-publication so that you can browse them, know when your favorite author's next novel hits stores, or find your next favorite read. Go to insiders.bookriot.com to sign up. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or at least try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Kim Ukra, and fellow writer Alice Burton. We're recording this week's episode a little early on Wednesday, March 27th. Hello, Alice. How are you today? Um, I'm pretty great. How are you? I'm a little tired, but but doing good. You know, it's uh, the weather is beautiful today. I'm probably going to talk about the weather like every podcast because that's all we do in Minnesota is talk about the weather and how good or bad it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I woke up this morning and the wind chill in Chicago was 23. And then when I left work, it was Ooh. like 52. So uh, I don't even know what to do now. But I sat by the lake and it was beautiful. That sounds delightful. That sounds really nice. Yeah, it got to be... I was supposed to get into the 60s today, which I'm not totally sure if it did, but I did walk from uh, the library where I work down the block to the grocery store and back without wearing a coat. So I felt like that was the best. <laughs> so weather reports with Kim and Alice. <laughs> now on to nonfiction. <laughs> it's Well, that is nonfiction, isn't it? We're telling you <laughs> about the weather. Um we're recording a little early because I am going to New York uh, tomorrow. And so our normal sort of later in the week recording time was eaten up by me being on a plane. But I'm excited. I think my my girlfriend really wants to go to the Strand, which – what are your feelings on the Strand? Because I feel like I never – I like it. Like I like it as a concept and I like going in the front part, but I never really am enthralled by like the books I find there. I have only been to the Strand once, I think, um, and it was. I think it was fun to walk around, but I think um, I'm a person who gets really paralyzed when I have too many choices. Like it, when I have too many choices, I just can't decide anything. Um, and so the Strand, being like how giant it is, I have a hard time. I have. A, I just have a hard time like actually buying anything there. But it is fun to visit as like a touristy kind of excursion. I think. I think you've you've pinpointed that really well because that's what I mean. I just mean like because it's so big, I'm always like, I don't know. <laughs> like there's so many choices that I don't know how to narrow down the section that I want. Um, it can be helpful to just be like, I'm going to look at history. But even then you have so many books about history everywhere from like spanning all time periods. Yeah. History is uh, not the smallest section you could possibly choose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what would be like a good niche bookstore like giant bookstore section uh, oh man i don't know questions for next time or tweet at us i'm let's just do social media at the top <laughs> too i'm at it's alice time kim is at kim the dork tell us good nonfiction subgenres to check out at bookstores um kim you had some follow-up stuff i do 
Yes. One is actually social media related. Um, so uh, one of our listeners, Jason, on Twitter. Um, so last week we talked about uh, books about assassinations. Um, and he had a recommendation that I wanted to share. And the book is called Rise and Kill First, The Secret History of Israel's Targeted Assassinations by Ronan Bergman. Um, and it is exactly as the title suggests. It's a history of the secret Israeli targeted assassination program and kind of everything about that. Um, he did point out that it's like 700 plus pages long. So uh, perhaps not for everyone, but he said it was really good. So uh, Rise and Kill First by Ronan Bergman might be a good assassination book if you want something really hefty. Um, and then we talked a little bit about The um, the Inventor, which is HBO's documentary about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. And I actually got to watch that last weekend. Um, and it was it was pretty, pretty good, I thought. Um, it's very beautifully shot. Um, I think they, I think what it must have been is that the, um, I don't remember who it was Theranos or like the com- the creative company that was working for them, but they had Errol Morris come in and shoot stuff for commercials and I think maybe some like internal company video. And I think that the documentary uses that video because it's just beautifully shot and it's of Elizabeth Holmes walking around all these places. And so like the whole documentary looks super stylish. Um, but it, it reminded me like you used to talk about how like you used to not read narrative nonfiction because you just wanted like, I just want this facts in the story and I just want to like know what happened. I don't need all this flowery stuff. Um, and that's a little bit how I felt like watching it, that there was a lot of flowery stuff. And I kind of just wanted like, what's the story, man? Like what is going on here? Um, but if you're not familiar with Theranos, it's a really good kind of overview of that whole scandal. So yeah, if you can watch The Inventor on HBO, I, I thought it was good. Not my like favorite thing ever, but it was good. So a, a tepid recommendation from Kim <laughs> on For Real. <laughs> I mean, I really just think you should read Bad Blood by John Carriow. Like, that's what everyone should do. But so it's it's a high bar to to pass. I agree with this. And also listen to the podcast um, that ABC put out. Um, that's really good. I've been uh, slowly going through that lately. And I'm pausing and, and uhing because I'm looking for it on my phone so that I can name what it's called. The Dropout. I- oh, that's it. The Dropout. Um, yeah, that's really great. Uh, the last sort of follow-up we have is there is a new Book Riot podcast, which I am very excited about, called Kid Lit These Days, which is like a fun title. So cute. So it's hosted by New York Times bestselling author Karina Young Glazer and children's librarian and host of the children's book podcast, Matthew Winner. So basically they're pairing children's literature with what's going on in the world today. Uh, I think their first episode is out now, right? I think so, yeah. So, yeah. So, check that out. It is again, kid lit these days. I think kid lit is all one word. Yeah, that sounds charming. Um, and so, we're going to hop into the podcast now. So, we'll start every week like we usually do with new books. Um, and, Alice, I'm going to let you go first because you have one that we were both like excited to talk about. So, I'm glad that you are, are going to bring it up. Oh, man. I was uh, so again, going to New York and I was like, I have to get sleep. And last night I was reading this and I was like, I want to keep going. And my girlfriend was like, no, you have to get sleep. Put it down. (laughs) So this is Murder by the Book, The Crime That Shocked Dickens' London by Claire Harmon. Claire Harmon, uh, we talked about her in the Jane Austen episode. She wrote Jane's fame, How Jane Austen Conquered the World, and as Kim mentioned, Charlotte Bronte, A Fiery Heart. So she's very invested in the 19th century, um, like particularly English literature. So she wrote this book about the murder of Lord William Russell, who is kind of a minor peer. Like, I think his brother had all the actual money, and then he was kind of this eccentric old man. Um, So she 
it's about the murder and it starts about that, but she really gets into the influential literature of the period um, and talks about particularly this guy, um, I think it's William Ainsworth, who isn't really known today, but he was, uh, he sort of launched Dickens's career because Ainsworth was so well known that he like introduced Dickens to all the incredibly influential people that helped Dickens as well. Um, including John Forster, if you're like a Dickens nerd and are up on that. So when I was reading this, there were so many, like it's set during the 18, I'm going to say 30s. It might be early 1840s. Don't quote me. But that time period. And there's so many like weird rabbit holes to go down because he like mentions this one character and they're like having an affair with like their daughter's husband. And then like there is this other salon happening and everyone just is like doing horrible things at the same time. This is a little later than Lord Byron, but people are still being terrible. So that's, of course, great to read about. So I was reading about the Duchess of Blessington, who they talk about, and her circle. And then I started reading this like travel memoir that Lady Blessington wrote about called Idler in Italy. And it's so good. And then she goes to visit France. And she wrote Idler in France, where she said, Our first visit was to Herbeau's, the high priest of the Temple of Fashion at Paris. And I confess, the look of astonishment which he bestowed on my bonnet did not help to reassure my confidence as to my appearance. <laughs> like, she's super fun. And she was really good friends with Ainsworth. So how do these things tie in to this murder, you ask? Okay, so in 1840... Lord William Russell, right? So he's found with his throat cut in his home in London. And like the house was locked up. There were some kind of signs of entry, but the police found it really suspicious. So they looked at the servants and they were super suspecting, uh, which is how they, of course, phrased it, uh, the valet, uh, whose name was, and you might say valet, but it's England, so it's valet, <laughs> um, Courvoisier who is this Swiss servant. Um, they finally arrest him and he blames this book that he read, which feels like the 20th century talking about like rock music and video games. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like oh no, mm -hmm. that's the corrupting influence, blah, 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 that made you like potentially like cut your master's throat and steal his stuff. So he blames these crime novels, one of which was written by Ainsworth. So she's kind of going into the literature of the period and how it got to be that way and what was going on in Ainsworth's life and then some other um, literary figures of the day. And then sort of also walks you through the trial of um, Courvoisier for the murder of Lord William Russell. It's really good. If you are a 19th century like British lit nerd, then I definitely recommend it. Um, again, that is Murder by the Book, The Crime That Shocked Dickens's London by Claire Harmon. I am so excited about this one. Um, I was going to read it and talk about it, and then we we kind of talked, and it's more like – it's like very in your Alice niche, but I am – super excited about it. So I'm hoping to bring it with me when I go do a little traveling myself this weekend because um, it seems so fun. Also murder. A rare crossover book for both of us. A rare crossover book. Yes. <laughs> all right. So my first book is one that I do not think you would really be interested in at all, which is fine because I'm excited about it. Uh, it's called No Happy Endings by Nora McInerney. Um, and I have mentioned Nora McInerney on the podcast before. Um, she's the, Her previous book is called It's Okay to Laugh um, and Crying's Okay Too. And she's the host of Terrible Thanks for Asking, which um, is a podcast that I talked about on the podcast episode where we talked about podcasts. Whew, that's a lot of podcasts in one sentence. Um and so this is her second book. 
And it is kind of a collection of connected essays exploring uh, the tension between finding happiness, but also holding space for the unhappy experiences that have shaped us. So um, in her first book, she writes about um, a period of, of losing her father to cancer, her husband to cancer, and having a miscarriage all within a really compressed six-week period. Um, and so she writes a lot about that and about her family and stuff. And so this book is about what happens after those sort of like life-crushing losses happen to you. Um, so she She's writing about finding happiness with a second husband um, and the kind of mixed family or the yeah, the family that they have put together with some of his children and her children and the baby they have together. Um, talking about like awkward questions that people will give you or ask you after you have kind of a painful loss like that, um, about her anxiety and depression. There's really good essays about that. Um, living with both joy and sadness at the same time. So all of those kinds of themes. Um and it is uh, it is very conversational in its tone. Uh, there's a lot of like sarcasm and humor, um, really very casual that I, I like that kind of casual style, but I can think that it, I can see how it may not be for everyone, but um, I'm enjoying this one so far. So that is No Happy Endings by Nora McInerney. Yeah, I probably wouldn't pick that up. Not because it doesn't sound really good, because it does, but uh I think it it sounds like a little challenging in an emotional way. And I mm-hmm. um, obviously we were both raised in the 90s, but I feel like I took on a lot of the uh, we don't have emotions. We only have jokes <laughs> um, kind of ambiance of the <laughs> 90s. Anyway, uh, so my next pick is Death in 10 Minutes, The Forgotten Life of Radical Suffragette Kitty Marion by Fern Riddle. Uh, this is published by Quirkus Books. So Fern Riddle, she's like, a sex historian so that's very much the slant of this book um i talked with uh, a fellow sort of suffragette i was gonna say historian i am not technically a historian but you know very into suffrage history so i talked with someone else who was an actual suffrage historian and she said that she feels like it overinterprets the sort of sexual rights aspect of kitty marion's life but it's still a very good book so i am recommending it Basically, Kitty Marion worked for the British suffrage movement, which was a lot more radical than the American suffrage movement. The British suffragettes were the ones who were like throwing stones into like windows and bombing things and pouring acid onto golf courses, which is always my favorite fact because they said no golf until we can have the vote. They, but they were, I mean, they were genuinely violent and they were, uh, you know, terrorists in their own country. And the American suffrage movement sort of looked at that and they were like, we, we don't want to emulate that. So they did a very toned down version for the most part. But Kitty Marion was working for the uh, leader of the British suffrage movement, Emmeline Pankhurst. So this is militant organization, right? The WSPU to carry out a nationwide campaign of bombings and arson attacks in support of getting women the vote. This story has been pretty much tamped down by suffrage historians in England um, because, again, this is not very laudable in terms of the history of suffrage. and um, But the way that Fern Riddle is talking about it is she says that um, Kitty was actually the sort of, I don't, she's not like, you know, also she's not lauding these behaviors, but she says that Kitty's, uh, she was arrested, she was force-fed more times than um, other sort of talked about women in terms of force-feeding while she was in prison. And then she became this even more radical activist and she went to New York City and she joined Margaret Sanger in advocating for birth control, which, of course, again, was like another hugely controversial issue at the time. Um, After World War I, because she was so revolutionary, 
as I said, you know, the, so the feminist movement kind of, and like the people who are writing the history hush this up. But her story is fascinating. Um, she was very sex positive. She was very pro birth control and pro women's rights. And um, just a really interesting character who uh, this very readable book is about. So Death in 10 Minutes, The Forgotten Life of Radical Suffragette Kitty Marion by Fern Riddle. Is there someplace that the title comes from, Death in 10 Minutes? Like, is that something she said or? I haven't gotten to that point of the book yet, but I will do that in follow-up <laughs> next time. I'm curious because it's very specific, but I'm not sure specific to what. Interesting. No, it's definitely a good question. Stay tuned, everyone. Stay tuned. <laughs> All right. Um, so my second book is one that I unfortunately have not gotten to read or look at at all. Um, I didn't have a galley and it's out yesterday, but I didn't get to go pick it up. So I don't really know a lot about it other than the buzz it's been getting and I'm really excited about it. So um, a little bit of a un uneducated recommendation, I suppose. Uh, the book is called Good Talk, a memoir and conversations by Mira Jacob. And so this is an illustrated graphic memoir about identity, interracial families, and the realities that divide us. So um, the premise of the book is that um, when he was, you know, six-ish, Mira Jacob's son, who is half Jewish and half Indian, started asking, like other six-year-olds, started asking questions about just everything that you can think of. Um, and after the election in 2016, as kind of racial tensions and all of that started to spread from the media into families, um, his questions got a lot more complicated. So he was asking things like, how brown is too brown? Can Indians be racist? Uh, what does real love between really different people look like? Um, and so to write this memoir, Mira Jacob decided, as she was starting to kind of answer these questions to her son and try to figure out like, how do you even go about answering those questions? Um, she started thinking back to her conversations that she has had with her family and friends and stuff about race and sexuality and love and all of those other big topics. Um, and so she, the book is made up exclusively of dialogue. So between her and other people in her life and then drawings that go with it. Um, and I think it just sounds kind of um, genre kind of between genres and just an interesting kind of format um, to do that, do a story like this one. And um, I just think it sounds really fascinating. So I'm, I'm excited to go pick up a copy and hopefully read it and be able to endorse it fully. Um, but that book is Good Talk, A Memoir and Conversations by Mira Jacob. I just saw on one of the many bookstagram accounts I follow, this girl was so excited because she like won a copy or something. And she so she was like, she was like, I'm going to go like, you know, to this cafe and just sit down and read it. And I'm like, this is the book I've been looking forward to the most all this year. So um, that's a great pick. It seems like it's uh, it was not on my radar um, because it doesn't take place 100 years ago. But <laughs> uh, it's no, that looks really, really great. My next pick, I pretty much picked because of its subtitle. You know, we love those on For Real. So this is The Life and Legend of Bra Coupe, the fugitive slave who fought the law, ruled the swamp, danced at Congo Square, invented jazz, and died for love. Oh, that's good. I know. I, this is published by LSU Press. And this book is... It's got a really super colorful and fun cover, which already is great, along with the title. And I'm just going to tell you what their kind of pitch for it is, because I was blown away by this character. It's basically, okay, so <laughs> he's talking about the saga of this notorious escaped slave. He lost an arm in a pitched battle with the New Orleans police in the 1830s. So then he hid for several years in a swamp near the city. During this time, law enforcement publicized their manhunt for him through newspapers, 
wanted posters, other media, messages from the mayor's office promoted this violent image of Bras Coupe, right? Because it's New Orleans in the 1830s, casting him as the primary reason police needed the right to use deadly force in the course of their duty. Yeah, boo that. So then this former friend betrayed and killed the bandit in July 1837, and local officials displayed Bras Coupe's corpse in the Place d'Armes where they ordered slaves to bear witness. So again, New Orleans 1830s. After he died in the 1830s, he had this legend that grew up and took on these fantastic dimensions. So storytellers gave him superpowers. They said his skin couldn't be punctured by bullets. His gaze could turn men to stone. And then folklorists like wrote down all this stuff. And then we had um, authors like George Washington Cable and Robert Penn Warren adapting uh, legends about him into novels. And then they kept adding these like new details, like people in the culture. And uh, some said he was an African prince before he was kidnapped and brought to Louisiana. Others said he was the most famous performer at Congo Square, who played this indispensable role in the preservation of African music and dance, which is, is that part of the, no, the next part is part of the title, which is that Sidney Bechet, one of the city's most celebrated composers, suggested it was Bracoupe who invented jazz. Hence the invented jazz part of the amazing subtitle. So... I mean, look at like all that stuff is just like, oh my gosh, like that blows me away. If you are interested in picking up this book, which you should be, the title again is The Life and Legend of Bracoupe, the Fugitive Slave Who Fought the Law, Ruled the Swamp, Danced at Congo Square, Invented Jazz, and Died for Love by LSU Press. Oh boy, you sold that one. That sounds so interesting. Awesome. They sold it with their description. Oh gosh. I was like, I can't even improve on that. That's so good. That's true. Good job, LSU Press. Like, nailed it. Um, (laughs) All right. So my final book is uh, called Native Country of the Heart by Sherry Moraga. And it is a coming-of-age memoir um, by a woman. Um, So she writes about her own coming-of-age alongside of her mother's decline, I think, into Alzheimer's. Um, And uh, in old age. Um, And also tells stories about um, the Mexican-American diaspora. Um, And so she is in this memoir telling this super intimate family story about her mom and her mom's growing up. Um, But then she also sets it against um, these historical details and moments that I just really didn't know a lot about. So the, um, the best example so far in what I've read is her mom was a young woman during the Great Depression. And so um, her mom in the 1920s went back to Tijuana and she worked as a cigarette girl at this club. Um, and in Tijuana, it was a place where a lot of rich people would go to get away from poverty in the United States. And so she met a bunch of wealthy Americans and had this kind of strange relationship with the man that she worked for and stuff. But um, at the same time when the Great Depression was happening, um, a lot of Mexican-Americans were returning to Mexico um, because people in the United States wanted the jobs that these Mexicans had. And so there's this whole movement of people that we just never talk about because during the Great Depression, we're always talking about the um, you know white Americans moving west and stuff like that and we're not talking about kind of what else was happening um so it's got these really interesting details set against this very personal story about her mom and her mom's life during that time um remember the book also traces the author's self-discovery of her uh, gender queer body her lesbian identity and her passion for activism um so it's just there's a lot of different pieces kind of moving around in the story kind of about a mexican-american diaspora in history that i'm finding very interesting um so that book is called Native Country of the Heart by Sherry Moraga. Well, that sounds really good. 
I am like constantly blown away when I hear about things that were happening in any other part of the world than, you know, like the center of the United States or the coast um, during some, you know, like big historical moment. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. There were I like just displacing that from being like the focal point is uh, always like mind jarring in a really refreshing way. So that's that's great. Um, my last new pick, because we've got some really great books coming out, is The Five, The Untold Lives of the Women Killed by Jack the Ripper by Hallie Rubenhold. This is uh, published by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. Uh, this, I am so happy that this book was written. There have been so many books written about like, who was Jack the Ripper? Was it this guy? What about this guy? What if it was a lady? And it's just <laughs> like, I'm sick of it because we shouldn't be giving him this much attention. So what Hallie Rubenhold did was she was like, I'm going to write biographies about the women who were killed by him. So these are, they have five canonical uh, Ripper victims and they are Marianne Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and Mary Jane Kelly. So this happened, um, I think, 1888 to 1891 in uh, Whitechapel. Hallie Rubenhold, she like gives you, she places you there with her writing in this really, um, just well-written way. And you just feel like you understand something about, you know, like the time period and like what's been happening. She talks about how during the, during Queen Victoria's Jubilee of her reign, like 50 years, they had this huge celebration, but at the same time, all of these people were out of work and they were like camping in Trafalgar Square and just like living there. And the one the first Ripper victim was among those people. So they're like during Queen Victoria's Jubilee, she was living there out of work. She said that, Helly Rubenhold says that most of the women all the women are said to be sex workers. And in fact, there is not evidence for that. So there's, you know, like all of these misconceptions that people have taken because of these salacious newspaper writers of the time who were trying to add all this stuff. So she writes these narratives of these five lives and reveals this world that's not just like Dickens and Queen Victoria, but also talking about poverty and homelessness and rampant misogyny and how these women died just because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. One of the things she says, which I want to look up, but I also pretty much trust her research, but I still like to verify, um, is that due to the way that their throats were cut and stuff, there's evidence that a lot the women were asleep when Jack the Ripper killed them. Hmm. Right. So they were just like sleeping on the street. And then this happened. So um, there's still a lot of stuff that I was like, wow, I have the completely wrong idea about this. So this is a really fantastic book. Again, it is The Five, The Untold Lives of the Women Killed by Jack the Ripper by Hallie Rubenholt. That is a really, yeah, that's a really good point that there are a lot of books about Jack the Ripper, but not very many about his victims, which there should be because dudes being dudes, man, <laughs> murdering people, whatever. Dudes being dudes. <laughs> all right. So that is new books for this week. There are many more that we didn't talk about, but there kind of always are. So um, yeah, if you have new books you're excited about, let us know and uh, that'd be cool too. Um, so we're going to switch gears into our topic for this week. Um, and we decided we would do, um, con men or confidence tricksters or whatever you want to call them. Um, because, uh, this is podcast will be coming out on April 2nd and April 1st is April fool's day. So that seems like a perfectly valid reason to talk about con men, which make great stories, even if they are bad people, con men, con women, whatever. I think all the, I think all the cons and the ones we picked are dudes, but that's all right. I have one woman. Oh, yeah. I guess one of mine is women, too. So half and half. Um, 
All right. So the first book that I would like to mention is a historical con book, and it's called The Dead Duke, His Secret Wife, and the Missing Corpse by Pew Eatwell. Um, and so this is the story of the Druce Portland affair, which was a notorious, tangled, and bizarre legal case of the late Victorian and Edwardian eras. Uh, and so this whole story got started in 1897 when an elderly widow went to court to request that the grave of her late father-in-law, whose name was T.C. Druce, uh, be opened. They wanted, she wanted to open the grave because she thought that he had been leading a double life and, in fact, was not just T.C. Druce, but was also the fifth Duke of Portland. And if he was also the fifth Duke of Portland, then her son uh, is the should be the rightful heir of the Portland fortune and so should have in- inherited the title and the millions of dollars that went with it, or pounds that went with it, I guess. Um so she makes this request of the English court system, and it sets off just like a case where there's stuff after stuff after stuff happening over decades, um, and other people step up to claim their connections to the fifth duke and that they should be the heirs. There are heirs that are like out in Australia that show up and try to get some of the money, and it's a whole elaborate story about whether these two men are the same person or not. Um, and it's there are lots of like pretty good reasons why they are not and also some like odd reasons why they might be um the one that was my favorite was they both had these really particular eating habits um in terms of like what meats and foods they would eat or not eat that were basically the same but then like there were these stories that one of them i don't remember which one would only eat lunch and he didn't eat any other meals but the other one would only eat breakfast and dinner and he never ate lunch and so people were like oh they must be the same person because they won't eat the same meals or whatever which is I don't know. That just seems very like Victorian newspapery kind of a thing to get excited about. So, um, yeah, it's just a book about this whole shenanigans about whether these guys were the same person or not. I will say it's um, almost too namey heavy for me. So there's lots of like this person was related to this person, and they have this British title and blah 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 that I find very tedious after a little bit. Um, but the other parts of it were kind of engaging enough that I was able to let that go, and it wasn't. It didn't stop me from finishing the book or enjoying it. So, I think, yeah, it's just a fun kind of crazy Victorian era goofy story, uh, which is The Dead Duke, His Secret Wife, and The Missing Corpse by Pew Eatwell. Um, that meal thing would have convinced me. I'm just saying. They were like, <laughs> they were like he only ate lunch with this when he was this person, and he only ate breakfast and dinner. He was this person. I would be like, sold. I buy this theory. <laughs> Okay, my pick for con artists for this week is The Big Con, The Story of the Confidence Man by David Moore. This seemed like a no-brainer. So it was first published in 1940. It concerns the first three decades of the 20th century, which apparently was when con men were kind of at their peak. Zenith. Whatever. Um, So David Moore is a professor of linguistics who uh, won the trust of hundreds of swindlers who talked to him about, like, their uh, language, so, you know, like, the ways that they talked about cons, but also their folk ways, which is a word I did not know existed, and the astonishingly complex and elaborate schemes whereby unsuspecting marks hooked by their own greed and dishonesty were taken off or cheated of thousands upon thousands of dollars. What I love about this is that it was written in 1940, so they're going to be using specially antiquated slang, which is just going to be so fun. So this is that it's this treasure trove of American lingo, like the right, the rag, the payoff, ropers, shills, the cold poke, the convincer. (laughs) And there's like, they talk about these um, nicknames of these con artists, like Barney the Patch and the seldom seen kid and Limehouse Chappie, which I really like. 
Um, it also served as the source for uh, the Oscar-winning film The Sting, which uh, I have not seen, but I know involves Robert Redford. So if you are excited that <laughs> this is uh, the book that inspired The Sting, or if you just want to read about fun 1930s con men, then uh, check out The Big Con, The Story of the Confidence Man by David Moore. Excellent. That sounds really fun. Um, so I have a book that is like, I would say basically the exact opposite of that because uh, <laughs> it is very contemporary. It's called Race Me in a Lobster Suit, Absurd Internet Ads and the Real Conversations That Followed by Kelly Mann. Uh, and so this is a book that just came out, I think, last week. Um, and I was going to talk about it in new books, but then I realized it was a good fit for this segment. So I decided to move it in. Um, and it is a collection. Of, so Kelly, uh, to, to do the book, she um, created these fake Craigslist ads asking people to do insane stuff. And then um, people would respond to them. And then she would continue to like up the prank in these email exchanges until the person finally was like, you know what, I'm out. Um, and then she contacted them and said it was just a joke and asked if she could have the permission to share the email exchanges. So it's just a collection of these uh, Craigslist prank ads and the conversations that people had with her about them afterwards. Um, and they are they're so funny. Um, the, there's one she wants someone to race her in a lobster suit and someone says, sure, I'll do that. And then there's this very long exchange about like getting the lobster suit laundered and whether they should set up the apartment to look like the bottom of the ocean so people can crawl over stuff and <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, there's one where she wants to build a a pool and two levels of an apartment building in two apartments that she's renting uh, or one that she's renting and one that is abandoned or not, not rented at the time. And she wants to build a double decker pool and is trying to find a contractor. Um, there's one where she's asking someone to knit her into a cocoon. Um, and they're just, they're so weird and they're <laughs> so funny. And I like, I actually laughed out loud at some of them, which like I've laughed, you know, like scoffed at books and think they're funny, like literally laughed out loud and had to like stop because I was laughing so hard at some of just how goofy they were. Um, so yeah, it's been a fun book to kind of pick up, read a few of them and then put it down and pick it back, back up later when I need to, a good laugh of some kind because they're just absurd and it's so great. Um, Sana's Race Me in a Lobster Suit by Kelly Mayon. That feels more in the actual sort of spirit of April Fool's stuff. So I'm mm -hmm. glad that you picked that one as opposed to just like genuine con artists. <laughs> By the way, the movie that I've been thinking of while we were talking about con artists is The Lady Eve starring Barbara Stanwyck and Henry Fonda from the 1940s, where she plays a con artist who is trying to con Henry Fonda, who is the son of like an ale maker uh, tycoon, but then also is really obsessed with snakes. <laughs> it's really funny and really good watch the lady eve okay so my last pick for con artists is caribou the servant girl princess the real story of the grand hoax by jennifer Raison. this story is nuts so in 1817 this cobbler in almondsbury which is a place in Gloucestershire, England, met this disoriented young woman who was wearing uh, strange clothes and was speaking this incomprehensible language. So his wife took her to the overseer of the poor. No one could understand like where she was from. They finally got that she called herself Caribou. And they were like, okay. And then she like recognized a drawing of a pineapple. And they were like, all right. <laughs> like slowly. <laughs> so finally they 
said, um, you're like, okay, but fine. Like, this is weird. But like, you're a beggar where you're going to go to Bristol and be tried for vagrancy. During this imprisonment, this Portuguese sailor is like, oh, no, I speak her language and like translates her story and said that she was, in fact, Princess Caribou from the island of Javasu in the Indian Ocean. And then she had been captured by pirates and then she jumped overboard in the British Channel and swam ashore. This was all lies. <laughs> Basically, they take her in. All these people, like local dignitaries are like, oh, my gosh, it's Princess Caribou. So she like used a bow and arrow. She fenced. She swam naked. And uh, had her portrait painted, which you can see if you Google Princess Caribou. She is wearing a turban, I believe. Um, Finally, this boarding house keeper recognized her from the picture. And they were like, this is Mary Wilcox. (laughs) 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 So she was this. Mary Wilcox was a cobbler's daughter. This is the second cobbler reference we have in this story. So apparently that was a thing to be back then. So she'd been the servant girl in England, but she just like couldn't get a job. So then she just decided, I'm going to make up this story about how I'm this fictional princess named Princess Caribou. Um, she's been found out. Um, she ends up being sent to Philadelphia in 1817. They were like, we're, it, you can leave. Like, we're not going to arrest you. Bye. So she goes to Philadelphia. And then she, she's in the US. She like goes around Philadelphia as Princess Caribou, but people aren't really into it. So then she comes back to England a little later and she ends up like throughout her life later, she's like selling leeches for a while and like living as this, um, living as a widow, uh, just around, you know, she's just like making her living, doing her thing. It's a fascinating story in case you somehow aren't already hooked. I'm just going to tell you, like read about it. I was quoting somewhat from the Wikipedia article because they do a really good job of summarizing it. But um, again, the book is Caribou, the Servant Girl Princess, the Real Story of the Grand Hoax by Jennifer Raison. That sounds so great. There was a movie. Yeah, that sounds so good. Yeah, I like the idea of con men where like, like nobody really gets hurt by this, right? Like it's just sort of an elaborate lie for whatever reason, mostly to like keep from being poor. Cool. Those are good. It's just a nut story. Right. Con men are, there's a lot of good con stories like that, I think. Um, we have not even like scratched the surface. We could do like a bunch more episodes just talking about con men, I bet. Uh, and we would never run out of things to talk about because people like to trick people all the time. But that's fine. Uh, so <laughs> with that, we will close out the podcast as we usually do uh, by talking about what we are reading right now. Um, and so I'm actually kind of between books, but I have two that I'm thinking about picking up next, um, depending on kind of what my mood is when I actually get around to reading again. Um, the first one is called Lead from the Outside, How to Build Your Future and Make Real Change by Stacey Abrams. Uh, and so Stacey Abrams, she ran for, you probably know her because she ran for governor in Georgia. And she made a, a kind of a historic uh, run as the first black woman to run for governor in that state. Um, she didn't win, but she kind of got to be a leader in the Democratic Party. I think she gave the rebuttal for the State of the Union this year, if I am recalling correctly. Um, and so this book is... Thank you. Kind of a memoir, but also a book on leadership, um, specifically a leadership handbook for people who are outsiders. So looking at the challenges that hinder women, people of color, the working class, members of the LGBTQ community and millennials. Um, so she kind of shares her story and then gives some tips for that. So I think that one sounds really 
good. I think um, Jeff O'Neill, who's the executive at Book Riot, I think he listened to this one on audio and liked it. So I'm kind of excited about that. Uh, and then the other one is one I literally got on my stack like a half hour ago, maybe like an hour. Uh, my sister was at the library and she saw it and she picked it up and she thought, you might like this. And I definitely am interested. And it is Alexander Hamilton, The Graphic History of an American Founding Father. And it is a comic book biography of Alexander Hamilton, um, which seems like exactly the level of Alexander Hamilton biography that I would like to read because I failed so hard at reading the Ron Chernow biography. Um, So yeah, it is an illustrated uh, biography of Alexander Hamilton, and I am psyched about reading it because it looks really fun. So those are the two books I have on my stack right now. Oh, that's exciting. I am, uh, especially that graphic history of Alexander Hamilton, but Stacey Abrams did a great job with that rebuttal, so I'm glad that you're reading that. I am reading The Stranger Beside Me by Anne Rule about Ted Bundy, and I have to read it quickly because uh, it's due back at the library and there are infinite holds on it. So there's no renewing that. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a true crime classic. I've read parts of it before, but I'm trying to get through the whole thing. And uh, I will have some opinions hopefully next time. With that, again, you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time, and Kim is at Kim the Dork. And if you are so inclined, you can rate and review this podcast on iTunes or the podcast podcast app of your choice. Uh, ratings and reviews help people find us more easily. And while you're there, you can subscribe so you can get new episodes the very moment that they come out. And so with that, I am Kim Ukara. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast. <laughs>